Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Well, we are back in our sermon series. We're only a couple weeks away from wrapping up 2 Peter, and I pray and hope that it has been helpful, engaging, and even life-changing for you. And we'll be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses Specifically, verses 8 through 10 here this morning, but let me angle in this way. Um, It was 1980. I was in between my fifth and sixth year of school, somewhere around that age 10 or 11. And even though I was an East Phoenix kid, South Scottsdale area kid, uh, the group of Baptist churches that I I was a part of, I went to a little little, uh, Baptist church, uh, they decided they they were going to have statewide summer camp instead of Prescott. At the Boy Scout camp here on Mount Lemon. Little did I know that I would be here for 20 years. 42 years later. Okay, so I'm, I'm about 11 years old. I even remember my, my camp counselor, Dale Williams. He's now a pastor in Illinois. To this day. And I remember toward the end of that week of camp, of living in a canvas tent at the Boy Scout camp, The first time in my life that I had an acute awareness of and an overwhelming sense with the imminent return of Christ. Ooh, big word, imminent. You ever hear that word before? Imminent. What it means is that Jesus could return at any moment. I remember, it was an emotional experience for me. And I remember crying out. Maybe not these exact words, but I remember crying out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I wanted him to return with all my heart. But I got to tell you why. I actually had some mixed motives. Okay, I loved summer. I was and am a child of summer. I love the freedom. I love the sunshine. I love riding bikes. I love chasing lizards. And I dreaded going back to school. Okay, young ladies in here, I know you love school. I get it. I've watched you. There's even a couple of young men, and you don't mind school. I don't get it, though. I was not you. I was a squirrely little guy that wanted my autonomy. I wanted my freedom. I wanted to swim and run and ride and, and chase things, okay? Um, Parents, those of you who think your son is going to end up in prison, we don't all end up in prison, okay? Hang in there. If you can accept my life as some kind of evidence that that, uh, not all squirrely little boys end up in jail, look to my life. God God has a plan for squirrely little boys. That was me. I, I just didn't want to face the pressure, the deadlines, the failure, the feeling like I'm getting left behind academically. And so I desperately wanted Jesus to return. The gospel truth. And he had four to five weeks to figure it out. And I probably prayed even after camp more than once. Oh, dear Jesus, please, please. But guess what? It's 42 years later, I'm still waiting. Still waiting. You know, Jesus promised that he would return. The scriptures have prophesied that he would return, has, has given, uh, <coughs> excuse me, vivid depictions and, and 
uh, explanations of, of how it's going to go down. Jesus promised it 1,900 plus years ago. And yet here I still am. And it's easier to understand the skeptic and the scoffer, isn't it? It's, it's easy for those of us who were brought up with that awareness or we've come to faith in Jesus, we read our Bibles and, and we, we, we understand that he will come at any moment. But you get to a certain age and it's possible that you start to give up hope that you're going to actually live to see that day. And if we're not careful, it's not just that we have sympathy for the doubter and the mocker and the scoffer, but the potential for us to, to begin to become skeptical ourselves, to become even cynical, to give up hope, uh, to give in, to settle down, to settle for less, to quit trying, to quit hoping, to quit expecting, and sometimes even to quit pursuing the heart of Jesus. We just settle in and we begin to make this world our hope. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that this is some of what Peter had in mind as he writes the scripture that we're going to actually look at here this morning. Um, I already mentioned 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Uh, but because, you know, we don't come every Sunday, we don't all read what's before and after. I'm going to get a running start, and I'm going to begin uh, at the beginning of the thought that begins at verse 1. Okay, so I'm not going to make any comment. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open up. We're going to read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, and then verses 8 through 10. So this is what he says. Now this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the command commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desire, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished by the same word. The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So Peter is, is further explaining and in line with the predictions of, of the prophets and other apostles and the words of Jesus himself, he is describing the day of the Lord. The pinnacle of the day of the Lord is the return, the second coming of Messiah Christ, Jesus himself. The, the return of Jesus is accompanied with fire, catastrophic destruction of the universe, the destruction of the ungodly, but salvation for his followers. It's going to be an awesome thing to behold. And that is one of the reasons why we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I can't wait to see this day. I want to see it. I want to be one of the living that actually gets to watch it unfold. I think that this is going to be awesome. And yet here we are, 1,900, 2,000 years later still waiting, or if you're me, 42 years. I'm, I'm 52 years old, I was 10, remember? 
but you're going 42 years, Lord. 42 years. 1,900 years. Where are you? And you begin to understand the scoffers scoffing, the skeptics' skepticism, uh, and so forth. So where is he? Well, that's why the next three verses are written. Two reasons and a further explanation of how this thing is going to go down. So read along with me, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. So what he's saying there, right there, hold on, is they're beginning to be influenced by the skeptics and the scoffers, just like me. Beloved, I'm talking to you, don't overlook this one fact. Don't go down that path of believing that lie. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness. Key word, slowness, it's going to come up again in our, in our uh, outline. But, but he's not slow, quote, slow. You think it's slow. But it's just, quote, end quote, meaning it's not really slow when we think of who he is. He is not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So I want to begin verse 10 with un unwrapping a little bit more of the depiction, the prophecy of what the day of the Lord will look like. What those who are standing on the earth or the redeemed that are watching from God's eternal heaven will get to experience. So there's several word studies here that are quite awesome. First off is the heavens, oranos is the word. And what it means is the vaulted expanse of the sky with all things visible in it. That from the earth you're going to be able to look whether it's daylight and you see the blue dome of the sky or nighttime and the stars, you're going to be able to watch something occur catastrophically throughout the universe. It's going to be awesome. And what is it going to be? It says that the heavens will pass away with a roar. The word roar is uh, what we call an onomatopoeia. You know what on onomatopoeia is, kids? It's a word picture that... That it, the word actually sounds like the thing you're describing. Like crack or buzz, right? Onomatopoetic. And the word in the Greek is uh, roizadon. Roar, roizadon. Can you say it with me? Roizadon. So if, if you're on the earth and you can hear this, the heavens are going to pass away with a roizadon. And the, the meaning in the Greek language is a loud noise, a buzzing, whirring, whizzing, or crackling. Those are all onomatopoeias. Roizadon. It's awesome. It's going to happen. Boom, roar. And this was actually prophesied. Isaiah 34, 4. 600 years before the coming of Christ. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. 
Whoa, that's going to be awesome. It's going to make a Roizidon. It's going to be watching a Roizidon. It's rolling up and rotting and falling to pieces. Hey, I don't know how it works. I just know that, that when it comes true, we're going to go, oh, uh-huh. That's what he said. Okay, so call for humility, right? But when we see it, when they see it, going to say, uh-huh, that makes sense. So another couple words here, the heavenly bodies. Two ideas here. It could either be the stars or, or the atoms. It can be astrophysics or quantum physics. Is that awesome? Stoichia in the Greek. I prefer quantum physics. I prefer atomic physics. That the very elements, every single atom in the universe, it says here, uh, burned up or dissolved. Lyo is the Greek word. Uh, Lyo means to be set free. So I want you to think about this. The possibility, the amount of energy in every single atom, it doesn't matter if it's lead, arsenic, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's oxygen, every single atom is loaded with energy. You know what nuclear fission is? It's when that atom breaks apart, okay? Atomic thermonuclear destruction. I'm not saying I know, I don't, I don't understand this. I, I do love the periodic table of the elements, but, but listen, if this is the atomic uh, material of the universe being set free, I mean, a hydrogen bomb is like a spit in the bucket, okay? And I bet you it will make a big, gigantic Roizidon, right? So the Stokia will be Lyo, set free and loosed, and protons, neutrons, electrons, going crazy the entire universe. That'll affect the stars too, by the way. Yeah, it'll be awesome, awesome what's going on. The Lord actually said this in, in, through the prophet Joel. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire. In columns of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is the purpose of the heavens rolling up like a scroll and the, the awesome Roizidon and in the, the dis- disillusion, the, the, the dissolving of the elements, because there will come a time when the world system and the way we play games, the way we, we fake our image, the way we lie, the way we posture and pose, the way we are, are prideful and are our pomp, and the way we hide our sin and our shame will all pass away. And that's this next word, Exposed. Eurethesatai. I practice that word because I botch my, my more lengthy Greek words and I still can't do it. Eurethesatai. It means that everything and everyone will be exposed for who and what they truly are. And that is the purpose of Judgment Day. Okay? Some will shine as the saints of God for who they really are. Maybe very obscure individuals that we think, that guy's not very spiritual. That lady's not very spiritual. I kind of thought they were a loser. And people that we thought were awesome uh, 
Christian and non-Christian, oh my goodness, they're like, oh, they're coming, let's get down on a knee, they're awesome. In any of that confusion or deception and what things really are, God is going to make evident on that day. Okay, things are going to be exposed. No more hidden, nothing confusing. And then Peter says all of it will happen (coughs) in a certain manner. It will happen, but it's going to happen in a certain manner. And this is what he says in what's wrapped up in the word, like a thief. The word in the Greek is kleptos. I can say that one. Kleptos, it's where we get the word kleptomaniac, which means what? Addicted to stealing. A thief. They do end up in jail, by the way, hopefully. (laughs) Kleptos, that this day is going to come in such a way. It's going to be sneaky. It's going to creep up on us in the nighttime. And we're all going to say, wow, didn't see that coming. So I could just say, even the more hopeless it seems, the more it seems like he is delaying, the more likely it's coming next. Peter's not the only one that said this. You know, Jesus said this in in Matthew 24. Let me read to you some scripture. He says, therefore, stay awake. And I think that that's a great mandate, a great call, a great convicting Uh, invitation today. Stay awake. Don't give in. Don't become a scoffer or a skeptic. Stay awake for you do not know what day out your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So it's got to be in a time when we don't expect it. And those are the times to stay awake. That That was said by Jesus 32 or 33 A.D. Okay, a couple years later, the Apostle Paul doubled down on the same, same theology, the same idea in his letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5. He said this, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. That was in 51 AD that the Holy Spirit led Paul to write that. Jump forward to 95 AD. It's John the Apostle, the disciple that Jesus loved. He's in exile on the island of Patmos and he's... It's the Lord's day, and the Lord shows up and gives him a vision, and he starts to write it down, and it's what we have, the book of Revelation. And this is Jesus speaking through John as an apostle and as a prophet. And Jesus says this in in Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Stay awake. What does it mean to stay awake? What does it mean uh, to be ready? I believe that it it means this, and, and this is enough for the entire message, but this world is not our home. If you're a child of God, if you've bowed the knee to Christ, if you're a Christian, 
there are some very wonderful things in this world because God is good and there's a remnant, there's a, there's a, a residual goodness of God all over this universe. It is touched by sin. All creation is groaning. We can find some, some hurtful, devastating, difficult things. It's a nice place to visit. But don't settle down and fall in love with it. This is what the Apostle John said. Same John that wrote, wrote down Revelation. <coughs> he said this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. And I think this is what it means to stay awake and to stay ready. Love not the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, are passing away. They will pass away. But right now, with the kingdom of God coming in our hearts represented through the church of Jesus Christ spread around the world, these things are already passing away. The night is passing away. The darkness is passing away. The ignorance is passing away. These things are passing away, but watch this. The one who does the will of the Father remains forever. Stay awake. Stay ready. How, how do you do that? 42 years in. <coughs> Where's the promise of his coming? Why the delay? How do we know where it's just not just going to be one generation after the next? Peter wants to give us two answers to that question. Here they are. Here's your first fill in the blank. And it is this. The key to his slowness, quote, unquote, meaning I don't really believe it. We should not really believe it, quote, unquote, the key to his slowness is his otherness. Okay, God is not like you and I. Sometimes we, we tend to think of God, and even when we, we talk about the omnis, what are the omnis? Omnipotence, omnipresence, uh, omnisapience, which means God's all-wise. Uh, all these big... In, in, technical theology, we call them God's incommunicable attributes, meaning uh, we're created in his image, and even as children of God, as, as Christians, there are certain things about God that we will never be, incommunicable attributes, okay? He is not like us. Whatever we are, he is, meaning the imago dei, the fact that we are created in his image, means that whatever we are that's, that's good and right comes from him. But he is so much more. And sometimes we think of all of God like just, just more. More of the same. Like us, but better. Like us, but bigger. Like us, but longer. But here's the deal. He is not more of the same. He is wholly other. You got it? The scripture says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, reflects this idea, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
God's thoughts and his ways are not more of the same, just better. They are wholly different. He is not the same uh, as, as we are. And one of the ways that this is expressed or experienced is God's relationship to time. We need to understand that he's not, not like just uh, forever on our time frame backwards and forever on, on our time frame forward. It's t- he's totally different, totally different in his relationship to time. Uh, time is something that he created. We, we try to think of it as the fourth dimension of the, of, of the cosmos, the time-space continuum. But understand this, it is created. And God created it independent of himself and outside of himself. We, on the other hand, are created within the boundaries of this created thing called time. Okay, he's totally different. He is eternal. Everlasting. He is in the ever-present, eternal, whatever it is. I can't even say now because that's a a time-bound word. How would I describe this or explain this? I think my favorite so far is by just taking the scriptures. Um... Not the doctrines as much as the very 66, the collection of 66 books, Old and New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation. I know it's not in chronological order all the time, all the pieces, but Genesis to Revelation is a pretty good marker of the begin, beginning and the end. And there is a storyline, follow me, a storyline that is time-bound in this collection of literature that we call the Bible. Abraham is stuck in Genesis. Moses is stuck in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Joshua is stuck in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. Samson is stuck in Genesis 13 through 19. And so on and so forth. Peter, James, and John are stuck in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then a little bit of the epistles. We are stuck in the epistles, the age of the church, the book of Acts. But Acts 29, 30, 31, if we were to say church history continues on after the book of Acts ends. You follow? As God himself Outside of time, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, outside of time, sees this as an ever-present now. This is why prophecy works perfectly for God. And this is why the second person of the Godhead, Jesus himself, can show up in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. He is the pre-incarnate Christ. And he can show up at any point in this storyline. We're stuck in the storyline. The patriarchs are stuck. The apostles are stuck. But God is not stuck. He's not like us. And the key to his slowness is his otherness. He quotes from a psalm. It's the only one that Moses actually wrote. Sarah just prayed it. 
Psalm 90, that's, that's where the quote's from. You've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children, man, for a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. Just a, the, the writers, Old and New Testament, um, Solomon and James, both said that our lives, we're like a vapor, but God is forever. And so when we stress out about dates and times and deadlines and in a couple of thousand years, God's going, it's not a big deal. Trust me, it's not a big deal. In fact, the church age has been going for about two days in God's experience of time. About two, two days, not even quite two days. It's sunset on the second day of the church age since the ascension of Jesus. And God's not stressed out. He never has been. So the key to his, his slowness is his otherness. Uh, we, have a, we have another uh, Bible verse really quick. I think the kids are, are mem- have memorized this. We can throw it up. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Okay, kids, can we say this together? Everyone, we're all kids, right? Well, let's say this together. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary his understandable, unsearchable. Yeah, you're not going to figure it out. But you can rest in it, right? The key to his slowness is his otherness. Here's the second message Peter wants for us. The heart of his slowness is his kindness. The heart of his slowness is his kindness. Okay? Okay? Follow me back into the text. We're going to actually see this applies to two different groups. And we are going to be represented in one of those groups, at least one of those groups. Verse 9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so here's the first group and the first idea that's contained in this text. And that is this. The creator of the universe loves every single individual soul that he ever thought of and created. He loves them. Every single individual. Someone's going to want to fight me about this. That's fine. See you after church in the parking lot. But here's what the scripture says. And I'll stand behind these. Ezekiel 18.4, God says, Behold, all souls are mine. And in that verse, even though there are the lost, and there are the rebels, and there are the, the people who hate him, he says, I thought of them. I invented them. I created them. I own them. By virtue of my creation, even if they, they are against me, I own them. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. Then a couple chapters later in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, what about those reprobate souls that hate God and want to just do life on their own? Here's God's heart for them. Old Testament. As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure 
in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That even the reprobate God cares about and loves. And then we get to the New Testament. A parallel scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Yes, I'm going to read all four verses, verse 1 through 4. Because it gives you context. And and Paul telling a young pastor, here's what you got to do with the church. And he says, first of all then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. That means all individual people. And then he singles out leaders of the world. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, of our, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. Every single individual. Kind of reminds me of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever, whosoever, whosoever. Let me just say, it is not God's desire that anyone be eternally lost and separated from him. It is clearly not God's desire. But it is his desire, clearly stated in scripture, that all would come to the knowledge of the truth, but they don't. Why is that? I'm going to give you two statements, and I'm not going to unpack them. And they're going to fall on uh, two sides of the aisle. Here's the first statement. I believe, I believe I can prove this from Scripture. It is his desire, but not his decree. And those two can coexist in God, and they are clearly taught in the Scriptures. It is his desire, but not his decree. Here's the second statement. It is his desire, but not in such a way as to force or coerce a person against his or her own will. Got that? It's his desire, but not his decree. It is his desire, but not in such a way as to force or coerce a person against his or her own will. And the great sense of the text is this, that God's, quote, slowness is his kindness. That there are individuals, he's keeping the door open, more souls are invited to come and repent of their sinful ways and repent of their their sinful thinking, to come to the, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life, For the sins of all. This verse is not only, however, about the spiritually lost. You ready for this? I'm going to put it up one more time. I think it makes it up on the slide. But the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Who's you? Well, we know, we know the first century Christians in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and Peter is writing to a very specific group of churches. He's writing to churches. He has called them beloved. He is not denying that maybe they aren't saved yet. He's not questioning whether or not they've been forgiven of sins. 
But he's saying the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise of some counsel on us, but is patient toward you. Christian, sitting in the pew. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What's that about? Well, do I ever stop needing to live in repentance? I never stop needing to live in repentance. I'm not worried that I'm going to lose my justification and end up in the lake of fire. I'm not worried about that for me. But I'm not finished. God is not done with me. I am not over my sin struggle. And guess what? There are some forms of sin whereby I could experience a kind of perishing. And I absolutely need to continually repent. You want to know why? Because I'm a jerk. Jesus has not completely conformed me to his image yet. I am not done being transformed. I can snap. Man, just drive behind me. I'm a terribly angry driver. And I'm not aware. I'm just, I'm, ask Timmy. Timmy watches it more. I drive him to school. Like, Dad, why, why, are you, why do you hate everyone? I mean, he doesn't say that, but. It's an area where, where it just comes out. But you can ask my wife. I do it in other ways in the home. I am not yet there. Neither are you. And it's our job to continue in humility. You don't know everything. Just because you already made a lot of money doesn't mean that you're smarter than poor people. You know a few things. Maybe you, you worked hard. You, you had some good breaks. God blessed you. But it could have gone the other way as well. Stay humble. You don't know everything about the Bible and the scriptures. You don't know Hebrew, neither do I that very good. I can barely speak the Greek that I've studied in seminary. And there's just a call for humility, how this whole thing is going to unfold in the future. We've got the scriptures. You know what? The coming, the first coming of Jesus surprised everyone. Didn't see it coming that way. I think that there's a call for humility, how things are going to unfold from here. That's called repentance. To be willing to change your mind. I'm not asking you to change your mind about the incarnation, the deity of Christ, the substitutionary atonement. I'm not asking you to change your mind. It is so stinking clear in the scriptures. But there's a call for humility in the way we treat each other, the way we think. We get backed into a theological corner and then we fight. And so many other ways that we need to just stand down, take a deep breath, say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And I want to understand where you're coming from. We are called to live in repentance. Here's the bottom line for our talk, and then I'm going to give you one more scripture, and then we're going to end it. Bottom line is this, we will live in repentance. This is kind of like our resolved sermon series. We're going to say we're going to be a kind of people. Again, we're not going to give away the central teachings of the Scripture. But in the way we treat each other, our, our spouses, our children, our family of God called the church, we will live in repentance. That's what it means to be ready. 
to be awake. We will live in repentance, patiently resting in his compassionate heart and perfect timing. That's our job. He's coming. He's coming. Will we be awake? Will we be ready? Will we be living in repentance or prideful arrogance? One more scripture. It is to the, ch- le- the letter to the church at Laodicea that is mind-boggling. I know many people have come to faith in Jesus, meaning this is the moment that they prayed to receive Christ as this verse was quoted. But please understand, this verse was not written to non-Christians. This was written to a church of children of God. This is what it says. Church of Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold, cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, and this is unrepentance, this is the arrogance, this is falling asleep at the wheel. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. In salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Who's he talking to there? The church. Now watch this verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's been 42 years, and guess what? It's been 42 years of Jesus knocking on the door of my heart. And I'd like to believe, for the most part, it's been 42 years of me saying, yes, Jesus, please come in. Because that's our job, is to live in perpetual repentance, to stay awake and to stay ready. And whether it's another 42 years, 142 years, Or 42 minutes, he's coming back. Maranatha, it means come quickly, Lord Jesus. We will live in repentance, patiently resting in his his compassionate heart and perfect timing. Amen? Father, we are resting. May you find us repenting. Jesus, you are knocking. May you find us up from the table, moving toward the door. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for offering us so much more than religion and churchianity. Thank you for offering us spiritual intimacy with God himself. Right now, as a church, we open the door. Oh, we don't want to be Laodicea. We don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be hot for Jesus. Jesus, come in and dine with us as a community of faith. We even invite your discipline for whom you love, you discipline and reprove. And so whatever it takes, because we want to be ready and awake and we want to shine for Jesus when you return. And if you agree with that, you know what to say. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. 
We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.